first time ever. Hear you loud and clearly. Um, and it was going place. That stuff's great. But the game is not a roguelike. Boomer shooter. <laughs> Bang. Hello, this is John St. John, and you're listening to KWEP In The Keep, bringing you all the hits from the finest in the world of gaming and entertainment. Now sit back and relax as the drowned god Cathala lulls your mind with the tastiest talk in town. Welcome to another chapter of In The Keep podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherlode. The Keep is a collective of gaming enthusiasts compelled by the drowned god Cathala to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. My name is Ball or Baul or however you want to pronounce it. Um, my real name is Ben Mansell. Uh, I am, amongst other things, a rather dedicated do modder um in my real life i'm a marketing consultant um but in my spare time i make do maps um including com- some rather large ones uh, such as elementalism that just got released uh, a month ago now i think last month um which was yeah. yeah four and a half years in the making so it's good to have that finally out anyway yeah so do you think that you're you know, being a marketing marketing consultant gives you a le- a leg up amongst other you know people who are trying to get their stuff noticed. Uh, not remotely. <laughs> no, I wouldn't have said so. My so my kind of my day job is in like DC political polling. Um, that's kind of what I do. Like generally, like if you ever go on like CNN and there's some poll that says 43% of Americans approve of X, Y, Z or whatever, I work for a company that does that. So, I mean, it's good fun. I enjoy doing it. I kind of enjoy the science of understanding everyone's psychology, nothing to do with the world of video games, doesn't help any kind of recognition in, in any way. I wish it did, but sadly there is little overlap between DC politics and um, <laughs> making retro video game titles. Man, what if like what if Dave Oshry ran for president? <laughs> I mean, I could put that out on a poll and see if anyone <laughs> would be up yeah. for that. There'll be a, a very small number of really positive people, and then everyone yes. else would be like, "Who? Yeah. <laughs> Who? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, this is uh, it's been really cool." S- since elemental uh, elementalism i can't even pronounce the name much less like an interview about it but i'll try one more time elementalism it has been really really cool to watch unfold uh even though i kind of came onto the being aware of it train very late in the game i feel like it was long enough you know when i found out to the time it came out felt like a good enough wait but you had like like a who a real who's who of everyone, the best level designers, the best musicians, the best everything going on in the Doom modding scene right now. And you've had five years to get there, but you know, where did this whole thing come from? How did you, how did you end up where you are now? Um, yeah. So the history of what became elementalism is a little bit of a kind of storied, uh, story, uh, for want of a tautology, um, of kind of how it came to be. Um, and, you can actually kind of trace the origin of the project all the way back to a skull tag mod that Dragonfly made called Skull Dash. 
Um, so for those who don't know it, Skull Tag is a multiplayer-focused source board, or was. It's not really very popular anymore. Um, and for a long, long time, Dragonfly, um, who is a good mate of mine, um, was working on a mod called Skull Dash, which is kind of like an arcade-focused mod. It's it's all time limit. You have a strict time limits to complete each map. You have to collect right. a bunch of tokens scattered around the map uh, before you can re- you know get through the exit. So actually, like killing monsters is a lesser importance. It's all about basically it forces you to speed run, um, which is it's good fun. Um, but by the time right. it came out, uh, Skull Tag, the source port, had kind of gone by the wayside a bit so a couple of years after its release dragonfly decided that he was going to do an enhanced edition of it um which was going to be the the main sort of mod few things added here and there but also ported over to gz doom which was the more popular source port at the time and kind of where it would find a bigger home so he set about doing that but one of the things he did at the same time was he introduced a what he called a community tier which was like an extra episode at the end that was just community members and so he then invited a bunch of people that he had known and knew about to all create maps for this kind of skull dash expanded edition so he invited me along to help out um because we'd done a couple of smaller things before um people like remorath was on there dreadop was on there fade was on there and there was a bunch of other people as well um but for the last sort of I don't know, month or two before uh skull dash expanded edition came out it was like this hive of activity. It was a bunch of people just making, because the maps are kind of short anyway, but loads of maps, playtesting everyone else's maps. It was a real kind of exciting energy. Um, Dragonfly and Remorath uh, were the most prolific mappers. They, they churned out huge amounts of content in kind of that couple of months before release. Um, so the mod comes out, it's a success, everyone likes it, you know, I mean, the original one, oh, the original version won the CAC award, it's a really good one, this one was just like, here, more people can come play it, and I think there was that feeling that we didn't want that energy to die, we didn't want that buzz and that excitement that we had going, that great sort of camaraderie to just fizzle away because the project had finished, so people right. started brainstorming, what could we do next? And I think it was Fade, actually, um, who was kind of one of the slightly lesser known rappers on the project, sort of said, we could do an entire project based around water or something like that. And then Dragonfly went, well, why not? Why just stop at water? Why don't we do all of the elements? We'll do like the main four. We'll chuck in like light and dark for some kind of fancy ones. Yeah, there we go. Avatar plus a couple. Um, And make kind of a new map set out of it. Um, so that's where the original idea for it came from. Uh, so it was kind of Fade and Dragonfly's original idea. Dragonfly kind of spearheaded it to begin with. Um, and then he sort of reached out to other members who worked on the Skulldash Expanded Edition. So it was me, it was Remorath, it was Dreadop. So, um, so that was sort of been, yeah, five of us. Um, and he was like, come on in, we'll, we'll make this. We'll make a big project. We'll like there'll be a bunch of different episodes with five maps in each episode. Each person would take one map in each episode. Therefore, you know, we'll kind of create something out of it. But if you go back and you sort of look at what Dragonfly had originally planned for um, for Elementalism, he had it in his head. He wanted a map set that were all short maps 
that could all be completed in about 20 minutes or so. They were gameplay focused first. Um, and really, he kind of wanted to carry on the sort of speed play aspect of Skull Tag or sort of Skull Dash, right. but into a more kind of single player focused. And crucially, he wanted the whole thing done in a year. He was like, this This is what I have in my head. I basically want to speed map this whole thing. I'm going to churn it out super quickly. It's going to be very like thematically strong. We're going to have six episodes. Each one's going to be a sort of very clear set of how it looks and how it feels. So we'll have like very distinct textures for each one. So it feels like a bunch of individual episodes. Um, then everything gets done in like 12 months. We push the thing out. Big success. That was the plan. Anyway, and funnily, funnily enough, when I was brought on, uh, I kind of said, I can't map that quickly. Like, I'm a really slow mapper. I spent a long, long time working on stuff. So I committed to one map. That's it. I'll do, I'll do the Earth boss map, and that's it. There's nothing else that I'm going to contribute <laughs> to it, because it'll be done. Like, Because people like Dragonfly can churn out maps, and Remorath can, like, during the tail end of Skulldash, Remorath famously made an entire map in, like, two days. He was just, he, he was a machine at the time. So it kind of felt like Dragonfly and Remorath would do most of the maps. I'd do like one, Dreadop would do two, was sort of how it was realistically going to fall out. Um, and that was great. And we all started. And Dragonfly actually made the first map that became the second Earth level in like a week or something. He yeah. did it all on stream. He churned the whole thing out. And actually, if you play it now, it's kind of, it feels a little different to some of the other levels because it's a bit smaller. It's a little bit more non-linear. It's, it's a bit of a Dragonfly map. Um, but a couple of things, actually really three things sort of happened in those first few months that ended up meaning the entire project completely pivoted away from all of that. The first was the Remorath graduated from university and got a job and suddenly didn't have time to work yeah. on all of this stuff. He was like, you know, all those maps I said I'd do? Yeah, I can't really do them anymore. So hence, in, in it comes to final release, he did like one whole, one whole map and then like two half maps was like yeah. his whole contribution. Um, the next couple of things that happened were kind of more from Dragonfly's point of view. Um, I think... It's interesting. It's like if you're trying to create something quickly and churn, you know, really sort of just let your creativity go and be able to make stuff really quickly, which is what Dragonfly wanted to do. Targeting GZ Doom and advanced UDMF maps, which is the most advanced map format you can get, where there are so yeah. many options and so many different things you can try to do, it's not a very conducive format for doing that. Because you have so many, it's like if someone says, draw a picture and hands you MS Paint. You're like, yeah, there are barely any options, but you can quickly churn out a picture. You say, you know, oh, draw a picture. Here's a version of Photoshop you barely used. You're going to spend more time just trying to work out what tools to use than just grabbing the, you know, the little ink icon and just drawing something. And so he kind of... It, it kind of started to slow down a bit. Yeah, all of that sort of motivation to churn stuff out really quickly kind of started getting a bit stuck in the extent of what we were doing and all the custom enemies and custom textures and all the advanced features we were going to add in. Um, so things started to slow down a little bit. Um, and around that time, the Yakiro 
uh, created a, well, announced a texture pack called Otex that anyone who has played any custom Doom maps in the last couple of years or so will have heard of. Um, so Yukira have been working on this texture pack for years and years and years and years, um, literally like 20 years or something. And it was close to being released. And he decided he didn't just want to push the texture pack out and there'd be nothing else. It's just, oh, here's a texture pack. He wanted some releases alongside it, like projects that you go, know, here's the new texture pack and here's a whole megawatt that uses it or mm -hmm. kind of whatever the case would be. So he put out a kind of a call to arms. He sort of put out this public announcement and said, here's the texture pack. Does anybody want to make a project for it? And Dragonfly was like, oh, I'll have a look at it. And Otex is an incredibly well-designed texture pack in the sense that there's a lot of textures in there, but they all work together really well. They're like they're perfectly the right size for Doom walls and Doom floors. They tile brilliantly. There's a bunch of them that naturally work together. So, and they're all like even just named in an, an extremely logical way. So they really lend themselves to rapid mapping. Like they really, if you just gonna, you just want to grab a bunch of textures quite easily and know they all work together well. Otex is great for that. So Dragonfly took a look at these textures and kind of went, God damn, these are good textures. Like these are, these really inspire me. There's a bunch of different themes to them. There's some stuff that no one's ever done before out of them. Like actually I kind of, yeah, I'll make something for this. This kind of sounds fun. Um, of which all of those textures, Yukiro uh, designed them to target Boom, like the old PR Boom format, which is a simpler format. It's better for creating fast maps, more speed mapping projects target um, PR Boom, just because there are fewer options, so it's quicker to do. Fewer of them target GZ Doom. So Dragonfly was like, you know what, this whole idea, this my original elementalism idea of six episodes, unique themes between them, fast maps, 20 minutes or so, generally non-linear, handful of custom stuff put in there that I can kind of churn out all in less than a year. He took that entire idea and basically made Everternity instead. So if you actually sort of, what Everternity which was the 2018 Big CAC Award winner, um, turned out to be, is what Elementalism was originally. That's kind of where the original project came from. Um, yeah. okay. But which is kind of one of those interesting things, because people have sort of described like, oh, Elementalism feels like Everternity 2. In reality, Everternity is more like Elementalism 2, because Elementalism was first. And Everternity is like the boom spin-off of that. Um, I'm not entirely sure Dragonfly would agree with me on that, but um, that's kind of where the lineage of the, of the whole program came from. Um, so really, at the time, Dragonfly was like, this is where my passion lies. This is where I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying myself, is creating all these speed maps. And he kind of turned to me and said, do you want to just sort of run elementalism whilst i'm going off and doing this and he then got a job making proteus and was basically like i really don't have any time to work on yeah. elementalism anymore like you take it 
So I kind of took over the project and completely pivoted it. It was like, we're not having short maps. We're having super long maps. We're not going to get it done in a year. We're going to get it done in five years. We're going to take our time. We're going to put environmental storytelling in. We're going to put ridiculous bosses in. We're going to completely pivot it to the kind of stuff I enjoy playing. Um, which is far more, it's an adventure, it's a journey, it's not particularly difficult in the grand scheme of things. Um, still right. feels very classic Doom, but utilizes a lot of the really cool um, GC Doom kind of features and UDMF features that we can put in there. Um, and that's very much how I kind of took over the project and pivoted it over there. Um, and it was also because Dragonfly essentially dropped out, Remirath couldn't, dedicate too much time that we then started reaching out to the rest of the community and see if anybody else wanted to join and contribute which is where we got people like dm phobos in which is how we got people like bridge burner in um to contribute a couple of maps in there so yeah the that's kind of then where the project sort of went on i ended up doing about two-thirds of the maps uh, at least for this half of the release anyway um which is way more than i ever originally intended to but it was one of the things that's like, I'm not going to let this thing die. Like, I'm committed yeah. to this. However long it takes to do, I'll get it done. And this eventually, I got half of it. I'm going to do one map. Yeah, one map. That was it. So the it's still in there, actually. The final Earth map. That was my one. That's meant to be my, my one map for it. And then I yeah. just carried on and did everything else. So yeah, there we go. Slightly storied history of the project, but that's sort of how we ended up where we are. No, it's really tremendous. It's as you said, it's, it feels more like a journey. It's not particularly difficult in any way, but it's just so beautiful. Like it's such an experience to play, and I think that's what uh, a lot of Doom stuff really lacks. You know what? I don't necessarily. If somebody comes out with like a vanilla map pack, and they're like, "Yeah, it's really badass new levels," I'm like, "Okay, but like that's not interesting enough." But when you kind of roll out the red carpet and make it feel like this extremely, almost emotional, really, uh, adventure like you guys did. And, and with, like you said, environmental storytelling, uh, but even even just the little uh, tablets that you get at the beginning of each level. And you get just a little vague, whatever the fuck, you know, background lore kind of thing, hint towards what's going on here. It really allows your imagination to go free. And I love stuff like this. It's right up my alley. And it, you talk about, of eternity i was insanely like i think of eternity was the first map pack i ever like really took and dragged into gz doom and played now that i think about it and i was crazy about that stuff at the time i, I interviewed uh, dragonfly even then also because of proteus at the time uh maybe like a year or so after it had come out but it was so mm -hmm. good and we, we hosted a couple of uh charity events every year where we do like we, we had z damon compatible of eternity we played that <laughs> Yes, I, it took some level. work to get it right, if I remember correctly. It, but, uh, was, it was extremely uh, in doubt whether or not it was going to happen. It all worked out. <laughs> Those guys are awesome. They're, they're, they're just super helpful and always happy to accommodate and make shit happen. And uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. With the skull dash and skull tag before that and everything, I, I've had Brad. Carney on a couple of times too and he's absolutely amazing I, I met him at QuakeCon I believe yeah he and uh, Doosome and Human Bones and I you know sat in his hotel room and, and I didn't even know who the hell he was they were just like we gotta talk to this guy he's amazing <laughs> and then you know since then I was like man I really <laughs> grown to respect you dude 
hardcore. <clears throat> nice. Yeah. Uh, QuakeCon is one of those places that I've, I've not been personally, mm-hmm. but you always just hear those little stories about, oh, I met this person at QuakeCon. <laughs> like it, it definitely, if you can make it there, seems to be a, a good place to meet the more influential people in the industry, in the industry, in inverted commas. Well, you know, it's just like, it's the kind of destination where people who are enthusiastic about exactly the kind of thing that we're enthusiastic about, you know, can, can reliably, you know, go to and run into, you know, meet someone new or run into someone that they haven't maybe known forever, but never, you know, spent time with. It's really, it was nice. I, I think it's, I think it's over. I don't think we're ever going to get a real quick con again. They're saying, you know, next year, but it was already it, the last one. It was already kind of. Bethesda con and not really quite con anymore, which is okay. I yeah. still had a great time. And, but. and now that Bethesda is not really its own company anymore, it's who really knows? Like Microsoft if, if con. Microsoft will want to, yeah, Microsoft. Con. No, they, they officially <laughs> announced, like they, they said, like, you know, when they're announcing that we're not going to have a real quake con this year, they said we are committed to doing it, you know, in 2023. I don't know if they're going to own up to that, but. I don't know. I'll go if a, if a bunch of people who I know are you know going to be there. Sounds dope. I like Dallas. Yeah, I have friends in Dallas. I'll probably try it as well. I've never never been like inside Dallas. I've done Plano, which is north of Dallas, which was mm-hmm. a terrible place. But um, <laughs> Dallas downtown is not not on my kind of hit list yet. It's a fun city, but it's yeah. it's a weird city. Dallas is almost like what you know. When, when you watch like Blade Runner and there's like these sort of like concrete jungle futuristic cities, I kind of picture Dallas in my head. That's what it looks like to me. Whereas like, I, I, yeah, know, I every, can picture that. I imagine yeah. less neon though. Yeah. Not, not quite so neon, but just like the, the structure of it and everything. It's the way the buildings are put together. So uh, I don't know. There's something about it. I don't mind it there. I get why a lot of tech people end up there though. I imagine it's a hell of a lot cheaper to live and have an office than somewhere like Silicon Valley. Oh, for sure. Which, yeah. Uh, no doubt. Which for the record, if anyone hasn't, for, I suppose most people have never been to Silicon Valley. I went there for the first time after moving to the U S about seven, eight years ago. I've mm-hmm. never been more disappointed in somewhere like you hear about Silicon Valley and it's meant to be this incredible place where all of the, the tech of the world was invented and it's kind of the mecca of consumer electronics and the future of, of humanity. <laughs> and I think that was all true in the 1970s and it hasn't moved on in terms of the buildings and the structure. It's all 1970s office blocks. It feels very old fashioned, like as a part, I mean, somewhere like downtown San Francisco is a hell of a lot more advanced and modern than somewhere like Silicon Valley. It's kind of a, it feels tired, which really surprised yeah. me when I went there. It's like, where's all the innovation? Where are all these tech bros flying around on hoverboards or something? It was just tired, faded buildings and overworked looking Google employees. It was kind yeah. of, kind of sad. It's like, the, you know, the, they drove up the real estate so much in the original boom that like the people who were living there are, you know, either the people who bought them then or are related to those people. And that's just kind of how it is. They're all, you're priced out of buying a place in Silicon Valley pretty much forever. So, Yeah, pretty much. 
memorized that I was staying there. Uh, it was a, a motel was the only kind of accommodation I could find. And it was one of those motels where it's not, there's not even a proper indoor part. It's just each door, like each room opens to the outside and there was very little in the way of security and it was kind of sketchy and it was $350 a night. Yeah. It's just like, this is the most expensive motel I've ever been in by a long shot. And it's just cause it's near Silicon Valley. It's such a yeah. weird bubble um, down there and sort of South of San Francisco. It's an odd place. I mean, apologies to anyone who lives there and loves it, but I found it odd, and I've I've been I'm there not plenty. <laughs> no, it's too expensive. It's, I feel the same way about like Seattle and that whole area. I'm just like, this is like it's ridiculous to pay this amount of money for this little tiny like space with no no outdoor access. If I have to walk three stories to go outside, I'll go insane. Can't do it. Mm. Yeah, Seattle house prices are at least downtown have gone mental. Um, yeah. A lot of that because Jeff Bezos, in his infinite wisdom, decided to build Amazon not on a campus outside a city like anyone sensibly, but right in the middle of the city where there's no access and no parking and no accommodation. So now we have South Lake Union is a shit show, um, yeah. and house prices are through the roof. And everyone who would have lived in Seattle and now moving over to the east side of Lake Washington where I live and now yeah. I'm being priced out of buying a house here. So uh, it's, all, it's all Jeff Bezos' fault. <laughs> Man. So to kind of get back on topic a little bit, I guess. Yes. One of the things that I, I noticed is, you know, there's a lot of focus on the, you know, mapping and everything that went into elementalism, but uh, there's a lot of really cool programming shit you guys did too i mean it's it's got all these wonderful sort of cinematic sections and you know some if not completely new then new to some uh doom enemies and also the the fucking boss fights dude oh my god who who designed all this stuff is this all from Uh, your brain yeah i did all the bosses i programmed them and designed them and all the rest of it like i always thought i doom bosses because I think of the limitations of sprites, you're always going to have limitations to the scope of bosses because you can't have a room-filling sprite because of the way that sprites always pivot to face the camera. It'll end up, you feel like you're fighting a 300-foot cardboard cutout. It would just feel <laughs> really weird. Um, yeah. So I kind of, I didn't want to create... Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it's it's not a particularly good look. Hence, most custom Doom bosses tend to basically be Spider Mastermind or smaller sized, and then it just comes down to spamming projectiles in the small area. And so there wasn't an awful lot of variety there. Um, no, I mean there are some brilliant ones out there, and people have done some great work, great stuff. But if you look at just the average kind of boss, custom boss encounter, it tends to kind of be an enemy, but more health and more dangerous. Um, but it was relatively early on that I hit on the idea of if you can building a boss out of multiple sprites. Um, like I think it was, there's an old Mega Drive game, uh, Sega Genesis in the US called Gunstar Heroes, um, Mm -hmm. which famously features, uh, essentially a very early form of voxel enemies where they have lots and lots and lots of sprites that all kind of work together to make a bigger enemy. And I was like, well, if they could do that on the Genesis 25 years ago, surely we can do it in GZ Doom. Um, yeah. so all of the bosses 
are built using this sort of multiple sprite approach, like whether it's the neck of the sort of Hydra boss in for the Earth or it's the giant blob boss in for the fire episode, whatever. It lets it basically meant that we could have bigger bosses and it still looked like sprites. And once you solve that problem, then kind of the doors are open in terms of the things that you can do with it. Um, so I really just sort of let myself have a bit of fun coming up with some stuff. I mean, that some of them have, I think one boss has 13 phases or something like yeah. that. Like the, uh, the, the sheer quantity of coding that went into it, but I thoroughly enjoyed programming it. It was good fun. And it was kind of, it wanted to feel like an actual progression through the bosses. Like it was not just as in, as you beat the boss, it's not just, here is the one, here's the 10 seconds of gameplay on which you have to survive. And now just do that for 20 minutes. Like that isn't as much fun. I wanted it to be like the first minute is different to the second minute, which is different to the third minute and kind of really build in almost like a narrative to what it's like fighting the boss. Um, whether the boss gets more desperate or summons more troops or reveals its true form when all of the other bits are dead or whatever yeah. the case is, it was kind of important to, as with the whole thing, there's, there's a lot of narrative aspects to it. I thought it was really important and m more unusual for most Doom projects to build that kind of story-driven boss encounter. Um, into there so yeah i'm kind of proud of those they were the they were the only bits i didn't show off in any previews beforehand because i wanted people to uh, encounter them for the first time and be like how big is this guy's health bar <laughs> like, yeah. how little damage am i doing <laughs> so. the, the moment that i thought i killed the earth boss and then the second phase of the boss fight starts i was like fuck <laughs> it's really panicking because i was playing on a controller uh, I don't know if you saw the picture like, outside. I think, yeah, yeah I was sitting on <laughs> I my, my, my dad's front porch. You know, I was hanging out with him for the weekend, <laughs> and I, I just like I'll go outside, and I, I didn't even mean to like. I was just setting it up because I wanted my little brother to like you know play some Doom with me because he's fascinated by it. And I was like, yeah, I'll get it set up for him, and then we'll play it later. And then I just started playing, and then you know a couple hours goes by. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? I have shit to do today. Like, I got to get out. Of here. <laughs> but yeah uh, it, it really incidentally it really that well good that's uh yeah that kind of moment where you think you've killed the boy I, I only did it once because i also didn't want to pull that trick more than once because then mm -hmm. it starts to become predictable and all the rest right. of it so only one of the boss does is that um does that but it yeah it's the first uh, boss that i fought and it it gave me kind of PTSD because every time I would beat the rest of them, I kept expecting like, like okay, that's going to Is happen. there a phase two? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> but no, no, there isn't. So, you know, grand surprise there. Um, but that was, yeah, that was, there was a lot of, in programming that, I, we spent an awful lot of time just ever so slightly tweaking like the exact length of time between the death of the first boss then you have silence, then you yes. hear the boss roar, then there's a specific amount of time where the, the health bar recharges, then the boss appears, then the music kicks in. And there's actually, it takes quite a lot of going back through it over and over again, tweaking yeah. the timing ever so slightly so it 
feels like a natural escalation and you get what's happening because each thing happens one at a time but they all kind of feel like they're rolling on top of you it's like oh my god it spawns extra health and ammo then you hear the new boss then you see it then the health then the music it all kind of kicks off um and that that music track as well uh, so that was yeah. uh, tristan clark's final contribution to the project which is this 13 and a half minute kind of prog epic that is split into two halves for the two different parts of the map and we sort of specifically worked it out so that once the second phase starts like the the track jumps to the next part and it's it's actually a essentially a power metal cover of the music for earth 2 you, it's it's kind of hidden a little bit if you don't know the pieces really well, but it's the melody from the second Earth, the, the music for the second Earth map. Uh, Tristan then reworked it, tripled the speed, and added double bass pedal to the whole thing, and that's the final boss music. Uh, which is there's a, a few there's a there's a couple of times that we use like recurring motifs in the music to try and kind of keep that narrative feeling. I'm not entirely sure how obvious it comes through, but yeah, we the musicians put a crazy amount of work into it to make make it sound as good as it does. One of the other things that you did, uh, I don't remember which map it was, is one of the fire maps where I I killed all the enemies in the room or whatever, and then I hit the switch and I'm standing there and I'm like, oh, I guess I'm good. And like the timing was just so perfect when they all spawned. It was like totally caught me off guard. I had just accepted that, like, okay, I'm safe right when it happened. And the, the fact that you actually put the, the thought into that is uh, pretty professional, honestly. Like that's, that's the kind of shit that professional sound designers think about all day long, but like most indie projects don't have a pro, you know, thinking about the editing and the timing <laughs> of everything like that. Yeah. There's uh, it's well, it's one of the, one of the sort of the way that normal classic doom maps tend to work is that when mm -hmm. you have a monster encounter and you use teleport closets it's a pretty old school way of doing it you basically have a bunch of monsters off in a room somewhere blocked off from a teleport line who are all roaming around being angry but unable to go anywhere then when you want the encounter to start you lower the barrier the then the monsters all walk over the teleport line and they teleport into the arena like that's how it's worked ever since doom 2.wad it's how it works for kind of everything else um but with advanced gz doom maps you can just spawn enemies whenever you want sort of using scripting you don't have to wait for the ai to wander through and there are some people who aren't a fan of that because it means the monster count at the beginning of the map isn't true because it will it isn't including any of the monsters that you summon in later so you see right. some people start and go oh there's only 10 monsters in the map it's not there are a thousand i just haven't spawned them in yet but it does mean that you can really carefully design exactly when monsters appear where they appear what direction they're facing you can even kind of then use like noise alerts to it to trigger the different states in the ai so there's a lot of quite careful manipulation you can do and then you watch someone play it for the first time and they go in a different direction and mess the whole thing up and then you have to go back and rework it and kind of make it all foolproof but there's a there's a lot of stuff time was spent in that in trying to make the encounters timed and positioned just right to be either just after the player expects something to happen or just mm -hmm. before the player expects something to happen and never like exactly when you think it's going to so that that's where 
four and a half years of tinkering on maps goes it's that last one yeah. percent of polish that hopefully come yeah comes across quite well to uh, kind of transition the conversation back to the music it's it, you, you, like i said at the very beginning of this this is really a who's who right now and of course primeval is uh, i think the most recognizable name on that list but they're all freaking awesome like i i, I was kind of blown away you know i'd be like playing through i'm like damn i really like this track this must be someone I know. And I'd be like, oh, who's, oh, you know, at the end I would like pay attention to see who had done the track or I'd go look at the file. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm usually surprised. I'm like, man, this is really fucking good. The, uh, I think it was water three speedies track for that one. Slamming dude, that that's like really, really professional level. Like almost like a, like a Nintendo level of polish on just like some slamming ass music. Yeah. The, so the the music was something that very very early on we thought that we would try and use full fidelity music like OGG or MP3 rather than uh, MIDI. Like just the main reason that I think people tend to use MIDI is because there's a lot of it available, but it's also the file size is extremely small. But given that we were going to end up with a half a gigabyte file anyway, we're like screw. We'll just do full fidelity. Like it once you pass like 50 megabytes. Nobody cares how big a, a, a Doom project is. It's like you kind of hit that upper limit and people's brain just goes, oh, it's a big project. And then anything up to like three gigs, nobody cares. There's just no real difference in perception. So we're like, all right, right. we'll go full fidelity. Um, and originally we were just going to use freely available stuff. Like, I mean, there's a mountain of, of license free music that you can use. Um, we're going to go like that. But then we sort of thought about, I wonder, I, th- oh, I think it was, Hexen Mapper, um, a guy called Tom Jensen, contacted us and said, Can I write some music for you guys? I've seen your screenshots. I've kind of, you know, can I write something? We were like, Sure. I didn't really know his stuff, but whatever. Um, and he wrote the music for Earth 2. That was kind of the first piece of music written. And I remember I was on vacation in Iceland at the time, actually. He sent it through, and I remember listening to it and going, Oh my God, this is good. Like this is proper grade A professional stuff. Like we're going to have to step our mapping game up in order to honor this these music tracks. Um, and it was it was a little different to like we'd expect for Doom. It was very orchestral. It was very sweeping. It was there was some guitars in there, but really it was mostly uh, acoustic tracks, uh, sort of classical instruments. Um, so he started producing that, and then we got a couple of other people contacted us offering to do music including speedy um who i didn't realize at the, t- at the time but howing looked into um her kind of back catalog more now she's a chiptune artist which blows my mind for the stuff she made for elementalism which is full high fidelity kind of rock and synthesizer. you go and listen to her usual stuff it's all amiga style music which really? is, you know, totally different. Yeah, which is amazing to compare what she did to kind of what she usually works on. Um, but yeah, so there are a couple of other people, and I think, I think Remarath asked Primeval if he wanted to contribute because he'd done the music for, I think, Ashes at that point, and so was sort of starting to build his um, his sort of reputation. He was like, "Yep, I'll join." And then uh, Heaven Wraith and Tristan also kind of came along. Um, and even though all of the musicians have a very different way of making music, like 
just their their process is very different their backgrounds are very different um some of them like quite most of them for example use entirely sort of um like sort of banks of music it's all kind of done digitally tristan plays all of his music live which yeah. is not like complete nonsense if you ask me he like <laughs> like i mean meant that in the absolute best way he's a madman for actually physically playing all of that stuff um but because there was it was made over such a long time and people would kind of contribute um pieces of music like once every six months or so it's kind of a slow process everyone sort of bounced off each other a lot and there's a lot of listening to other tracks and comparing and that's how for example uh, i think it was primeval wrote the first fire track which is the music that ended up in fire four um the forge and flames eternal and there's a cool there's a motif in that there's a particular riff in that that riff appears in like three other fire maps because all the other musicians like heard it and went, that's a cool riff. I'm going to include it in my stuff. So there's a an ambient version of it um, in Fire 1. In Fire 3, Speedy did it in a kind of a wailing guitar fashion. And it even kind of turns up in the final boss music as well. Um, but there was a, you can it's still very much the sense that you can recognize the different musicians, which I really like. You can say, oh, yeah, this sounds like a Tristan track or this sounds like a Primeval track. Um, you'd know it if you ever looked at the EQ. You'd know it's a Primeval track because he just maxes out like the entire waveform all the way through. Like the yeah. the other musicians are like trying not to clip too much or anything like that. Primeval just wall of sound. <laughs> it like really stands out. Um, but uh, yeah, in the end, I feel like all the tracks we end up. It's a fully original OST. By the end of it, we had new music for everything. Um, and it really feels very coherent. It's uh, the styles of the tracks are very similar. A lot of the instrumentation is very similar. Like a lot of the fire uh, tracks, because the, the fire episode is kind of industrial, uh, uses anvils as percussion, um, which, you know, it, I know they, a lot of them do that. So you kind of hear that recurring idea of, of the sound of blacksmiths in the background, whereas the the Earth episode uses a lot of kind of traditional acoustic instruments um i think one of the earth i can't remember which one actually it might be the earth one ends up using a um a genuine aztec death whistle in there which is a a preposterous instrument that basically just sounds like somebody's screaming that that's all it does and apparently the aztecs blew on it when they were riding into war so you would just hear this massive screaming coming towards you they're basically the headless kamikazes from serious sam um mm-hmm. but we have a sample of that in one of the earth tracks um because it's a mesoamerican style so yeah there was just a lot of it, it really grew i think personally to be the best part of the project uh like we, we joke about i really hope our maps can live up to the music because the music is that good um which is also why we were decided quite early on uh, a, we were going to do a full standalone release of it, so the whole thing's on Spotify, the whole thing's up on Bandcamp, there's a YouTube release, but also we would heavily credit the musicians at the beginning of all of the maps. So when you load a map and it kind of comes up with the name of it, it doesn't just list the mapper, it also lists the composer, and then at the end of the map it does the same as well and lists kind of the name of the track, because I just think they're too good to just be background music. Like, like I, I, I generally do think they're the, the best part of the project. I 
I mean, yeah, it's all fantastic. I, I'm blown away by the <clears throat> the visuals, man. It's just such a fucking beautiful game. I, I remember I was talking to Tristan. Must have been in the the Stellar Valkyries like development Discord one day, and I was just like, well, you know, what have you been up to? And he posted probably a tweet or something, but it was just you know looping video of an early version of walking across the long bridge with the pyramid in the background. And I mean, that is just such a gorgeous thing. But I, I realized at some point like, as we were talking that, you know, we were talking for hours and I was like, I have been staring at the same image, you know, rotating the same loop anyway, for literally hours, just mesmerized by how beautiful it was. And that doesn't yeah, in any way go away in the gameplay. I mean, your, uh, your cube map, dude, is... I mean, maybe the coolest Doom level I've ever seen. Just just the opening before you even get into the map. Like it, you walk out and you have the, you know, the whole, you see the gears turning and everything. And then you fucking fall down the chute and it's really long. It's like almost uncomfortably long, but you have the, all that time to just take in what's about to happen to you. And then, yeah, making that map work. Holy shit. I mean, that's really, that's really something, dude. That that map was a that was a headache, an absolute I headache bet. to make. Yeah. Um so it's it's yeah, the idea was basically was for anyone who hasn't seen the movie Cube, it's a brilliant movie, nineteen ninety seven cult classic Canadian horror. Um but basically a bunch of people find themselves stuck in a giant almost like a Rubik's Cube. Um and each room has a different encounter in it some are dangerous some are harmless whatever but the whole thing moves around so you get stuck in it because you can't really understand the way out unless like you're a a savant and you understand the fibonacci sequence i think how it works out but anyway so yeah i kind of thought like can i make that in doom that's a lot of how my map starts are coming up with a gimmick and then seeing if i can build a level around them which personally i do not think is a very good way of making maps but seemed to work out all right um so the the first version of the cube map um i genuinely built like 27 rooms um and you can put like you can't have genuine room over room in doom so it's kind of three different sections and then i linked everything via portals which are basically the technology of of stitching two different sections of a map together but in a way that the player doesn't realize it visually looks seamless it works seamless in the way that you kind of move through it um so i built the whole thing structured all together had portals i there were something like 137 portals that tied it all together um and then as you moved around every time you flip the switch or whatever there was a gigantic script that redirected all of the portals so it felt like the level would rearrange itself and that was kind of how i originally built it i got it all working and as i played it the performance was atrocious <laughs> like elementalism is a is a it's a gz doom struggles with advanced maps anyway because it's still single core bound it just ignores multiple threads which is how most people's pcs work these days so it doesn't run brilliantly anyway and elementalism pushes it quite hard as it is um but this map it was chundering along at like 10 to 15 frames per second and it functionally worked but i had this sinking feeling it's like i can't push this out like i can't release this level running this badly it doesn't matter if it works and it 
you know, is kind of fun. So in the end, I rebuilt the whole thing so that instead of having a genuine cube connected by portals, there are essentially three different versions of the level, and each one has all of the rooms already pre kind of worked out where they're going to be and then when you hit the switch that rearranges the cube it just subtly bumps the player from one to the next and you don't really notice it um but then we had the challenge of well if you've like you know you've just gone into a room you've killed a bunch of monsters and so there are corpses everywhere you've left a couple of med kits here and there if i bump the player to another version of the level and they go back into that room they're going to go where are all the corpses? Where are all the ammo that I've left? Like, you could tell it's a different version. So then we had to build a bunch of codes that takes all the dead bodies and all the ammo and everything from one part of the level and moves it over to the other part of the level to ensure that it remains consistent. So the corpses bounce over and all the unused ammo moves over. Um, and there's all this kind of stuff in the background. I should have, in hindsight, I should have done like wall decals and blood splats as well, but I, I couldn't work out how to that working. But there's, yeah, there's just a lot of stuff to try and maintain the illusion of it being a single cube, which obviously you couldn't do in the Doom engine. So, and it's a lot of just, it, like each individual enemy has its, a bunch of code underneath it that tells the map where it should be. So when it moves over, it can find the other room and then put it relatively where the corpse would have been. So there's, yeah, there's a, a bunch of stuff like that that happens in the back end, all because at some point in 2018, I went, I wonder if I could make the cube movie. And, you know, a thousand hours of work later, it kind of works. <laughs> That's yeah. That's how a lot of a lot of what we came up with was start with the idea and then try and fudge the technology to make it work, rather than starting with what we know GZ Doom can do and try and build a level around it. So there's, I mean, at one point actually we had additions to the engine made just to support some of the ideas that we had. So yeah. it's a it's a it's a John Romero rather than a John Carmack approach. It's just, it's really, really tremendous, man. I, I was so impressed by it. And like, even just the little bit that you were, you know, telling me about it was enough to kind of shed light on it. Cause I was so confused by like, what is this? What am I experiencing right now? And then, you know, the, I had seen, I think I mentioned, I, I watched the movie maybe a couple of months ago, but it was just kind of like on in the background. I'm like, oh, that's a fun one. I'll see, you know, and you know, so it didn't really cement in my brain what I was going through until you said that. But it's such a fucking cool concept. I mean, like you could, you could have a really fun co-op game that kind of just functions on people trying to figure out how to get out of that damn cube. Uh, yeah, maybe not. Could although beautifully, although ele- uh, co-op in elementalism, uh, people have asked about that. And on if you try to ever play it cooperatively, all of the maps would break so quickly because there are yeah. so much like careful scripts that manipulate the maps to have just the right effect for the player like the player is standing in this particular moment so we subtly move half the level over there like that that does generally happen we like just move entire like entire parts of the level get moved around a lot of it is for performance reasons Um, a lot of it is just kind of keep things smooth but if you had two players it would just fall over instantly (laughs) like it's just unlike classic doom maps which are very robust 
in the sense that you can have any players in any direction. It doesn't matter. It doesn't work like that for elementalism at all. It's, it's much more ke- like choreographed. Yeah. No, I, I definitely don't think that it would be a good idea to try to turn this thing into like a, you know, Xandronum <laughs> compatible sort of co-op oh, experience. God, no. by any stretch of that. I'm just like, d- just the concept of the cube and like the whole situation of getting through it. Like I could just easily see how that would be a really fun uh, cooperative experience. That is, mm. but that's a challenge for a different day. It's for very true. Man. Although it's, it's, <laughs> It, it fascinates me, actually, to sort of hear you say that, like, the cube level was really, really memorable for you. And, and you're not the only person to say it was one of the most memorable maps in the map set for you. Because when we launched it, I was genuinely concerned about that level. Like, I felt that it's probably the weakest in the yeah. entire map set. Um, and I think it's possibly because... I, because I kind of built it, I'd gotten over that, oh, it's a, it's a cube and it moves around. Like, I'd gotten over that four years ago. I was very much focused on what the actual gameplay is. And the gameplay right. is 27 square rooms that you walk into and there's some enemies and you shoot them. Like, that's it. If you actually just describe the actual gameplay of the map, people will go, that sounds terrible. Like, that's boring what there's nothing interesting going on there um and it really fascinates me i think that almost i think accidentally that that level kind of demonstrates that even relatively mundane gameplay can still make for a a memorable map if the presentation is done well and it's set up in a good way and the visual experience works um so i think if i had if you took out all of the the cube aspect and you just just have the combat encounter and covered everything in monotone star tan textures or something like that genuinely people would say this is just a bad level but give it a cool look and a cool idea and suddenly everyone's like well at least a few people are like this is really fun and memorable and i it was that was kind of an interesting learning for me as a mapper like we get so stuck on the gameplay has to be good the actual moment to moment sort of experience of fighting and the combat setups have to be really good because otherwise no one's going to enjoy it is not as universally true as i think it, it might be tempted to think like just how you present a level matters just as much at least that level would suggest anyway which was interesting the fact that it's new and interesting it's like you know amongst a lot of other levels that are kind of balls to the wall doom you know like playing killing monsters going you know being in really <laughs> terrible situations the map is almost like a break from that and that it's like wow man i get to explore this thing and like try to figure out how it works and it, it, as soon as i open up like i, I looked at the mini map and i'm like oh god this is this is going to be a puzzler you know should i get a pen and paper should i start writing down you know notes for myself to remember what i did last i didn't I actually managed to fumble <laughs> my way through it and I'm, I'm sure there was a method to it but it's just so much fun yeah the um the version that is in the in the final release that came out is actually kind of carefully um it's it's not actually that non-linear it feels like it is mm-hmm. you feels like you're just kind of going all over the place but i quite carefully built it so that you can't really get lost there's only like a couple of situations where there are proper forks and then they kind of coalesce quite closely 
Um, and the reason I build it like that is the very original version of the map, uh, which was kind of went that went out to the main internal testers at the beginning of the year, was truly non-linear. Like you could go in any direction, up, down, left, right, back, forwards, like anywhere you like. And what happened is people would just stumble forwards like not really getting a grasp of where they were in the cube they would just go forwards they just go from room to room randomly picking left right up or down depending on where they wanted to go and after an an amount of time it could be random they would stumble onto the exit and then go oh okay i found the exit and then they take know, the exit do you know how long it took me to just figure out that you know if i'm in a corner cube i don't have to check the left and forward doors i should just go right you know that that sort of logic is <laughs> too much i try to try to remind people like when they're making games i'm like look for every like you know like some pseudo autistic uh dark souls level masochistic super genius gamer there is out there there's 10 15 maybe 100 uh potheads who are also interested in giving you, you know, money for your game who are going to just be like, just trying to have a good time and not think too much. It's a good uh, mix though, that you kind of came up with there. I, I felt like, uh, despite being stupid, I, I was able to complete it and I was proud of that. Well, yeah, good. Cause I mean, yeah. sort of, yeah, it was what you, what you'd see or what I was observing in the original playthroughs is that people would reach the exit, have no idea how they got there and would have no yeah. sense of progression or accomplishment. They would just, bounce from room to room and a random amount of time later would find the exit and just go oh okay i guess that was that and they might have left half the map unexplored because they just randomly happened to pick a route that got them there and so i ended up redesigning it to make it a lot more kind of directed so like especially like the final area where all 27 rooms are open you kind of do the bottom floor then you get to do the middle floor and then you get to do the top floor whereas before in theory you could just go straight to the top floor and two rooms to the left and you'd find the exit and you could skip sort of most of it so it was that was kind of you you kind of people will sort of talk about oh non-linear stuff is brilliant like give sort of lots of player choices but without context without the player knowing where they are in the grand scheme of a level and then being able to consciously choose where to go non-linearness doesn't work because people just randomly take left or right and possibly bump into the exit and there was no sort of sense of progression there at all so yeah the current version's redesigned to basically make you do the whole thing there are no you can't just shortcut it to the exit anymore and i think it 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 people I've spoken to have kind of said that, oh, they they felt that they fumbled their way through it, which is brilliant because it still feels like you're being lost in it, even though I've gone through and I've closed off a bunch of doors to actually make it a little bit more orchestrated than it was before. So yeah, that that level went through a a lot of iterations to get it kind of to the the version it is now. Yeah. Are there any things that you kind of look back on even now that it's like kind of said and done that you wish were different or better or didn't exist? Um, huh? No, I wouldn't have sort of said so. I think all, all the project is good. Like there's, if there's something wasn't good, I would have, I wouldn't have 
included in there but i do definitely look back around like the first maps i made compared to the last maps i made and just how different they are um like the first one i made that was earth 5 um is it's very it's very kind of gimmicky in the sense that there's a there's a big central room and then there are like four spokes off it and each spoke has its own little combat situation because i wasn't very good at envision i'm still not particularly good at envisioning how a level holistically fits together mm. um that i i play levels where people have made them um a lot of eternity is like this actually where like the whole level feels like a it's complicated but it's a single coherent structure and everything sort of organically works together and I don't even know how people start thinking that stuff up. Like you just go, I know I'll come up with all of these things. Um, so my very first levels are very much like draw a box, put stuff in it, draw a box next to it, put another stuff in it. But the final level I made that was water three, the one, have you played the water episode yet? I've played all of it. Or, oh, awesome. Um, so that was the one that had the spiral staircase that rotated, um, which was probably the most complicated thing uh that i programmed into it because rotating spiral staircases are not something that doom should be able to do um but i kind of did it anyway but that level is a lot more just naturally connected it feels like it's a series of organically structured rooms um that all kind of fit together it ended up way bigger than i meant it to be it takes like an hour to complete or something but it that feels like a a a better in you know as a mapper i look at that and go sort of like yeah that that was a decent one i go back and look at earth five and be like eh, it's a bit rough around the edges it's a bit kind of it's a bit amateurish and a bit gimmicky in comparison but it's a small map so it's not really much of a problem um but it's definitely because i'd only done like three maps or something before starting elementalism um, it was a, a pretty, hence I only said I was only going to do one max. I wasn't particularly experienced. Um, right. So I can look back at myself and see my progression through the project, which is kind of true of anything that takes five years to make or whatever it was. Um, so yeah, just that I think I wouldn't have really changed anything, but it's, it's, I know a lot of people will say this, but it's interesting to see progression in styles and what interested me kind of as, as I went through the project. Yeah, I, I really loved like just again as a set piece when you walk into that room and you see the giant rotating staircase and you kind of take in like oh I'm supposed to like mess with this thing, I mean that's something that you you know, would see in like Uncharted or like a really you know that's that's some very AAA level uh, design going on there that you just don't get to see in a in a lot of these Doom uh, or Quake or really really any of this stuff like indie mod scene it. The only thing that disappoints me about this game is that you you know you're not selling it for a lot of money or something. But I, I do love <laughs> and appreciate the fact that uh, Doom, it, the Doom community, this is what they do. This is you know this is how people cut their teeth and and it's a hobby and that's awesome. Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of interesting you say that because something like when this when elementalism was first announced age of hell was kind of announced relative i think it was slightly beforehand actually and there was kind of they were positioned in similar ways um like when they were very very originally announced which was advanced gz doom map set 
And for a little bit of time, sort of me and Bridgeburner were kind of joked that we were sort of, even though we're both making maps for each other's projects, they were like the two big GZ Doom projects that are, you know, going to kind of be in competition a bit. And I think it's it's kind of very interesting how Bridgeburner has taken Age of Hell into something way bigger. Um, it's like it's a full custom release. It's fully standalone, no original assets whatsoever. It's a complete total conversion. Whereas right. I was very fiercely, no elementalism is just a map set. Like I, it, it was kind of one of the things that I, from the very, very, very beginning of the project, um, go back to like 2017 or something like that. And so, you know, slight, slight doom mapping uh, sort of history tangent here. But back in 2017 or so, you sort of, when you looked at GZ Doom projects, any of the big GZ Doom projects, most of them would have at least some kind of gameplay alteration on there because GZ Doom can do so much. I mean, it's a fully standalone game engine. There are fully commercial releases based on it now. Um, I think people would look at it and go, oh, what can we do with GZ Doom? Therefore, we should do it. We can, if you look, I don't know, something like the Golden Souls was basically turned Doom into a platformer or Total Chaos became a survival horror or Skull Tag was this coin collecting thing or uh, Blade of Agony, for example, had stealth sections and Extermination Day had vehicular sections. It was all like, what are the additional gameplay that we can put on? What are the new sort of ideas we can build into it? And there was relatively little at the time which were... advanced levels but basic gameplay like that combination of classic gameplay but as advanced levels as possible wasn't really very common you just didn't really see an awful lot of it It felt like i think if people were enjoying classic doom they tended to target the more conservative source ports whereas if you were talking in gz doom it's because you wanted to build something new and incredible and completely different um but i like classic doom i don't know i've been playing it since i was 12 years old or something you know when it when doom 2 first came out it's i didn't want to add in lots of different things i wanted crazy levels and all that sort of stuff but i really wanted the original gameplay to stay very classic which is why all the original monsters are still in there all the original weapons are still in there um and at the time there was yeah just very very little in terms of this classic advanced sort of hybrid stuff since then it's become it's starting to become a little bit more common um you have maps like hurt by ellen which is kind of one of the first it was a vanilla texture pack um but very advanced sort of gz doom stuff and more recently you have stuff like lullaby by danlex which is probably the most gorgeous looking gz doom map anyone's ever created it looks like something american mcgee would have done um, all entirely vanilla gameplay, like no sort of changes there. Um, and so you start to have more of this kind of, uh, yeah, focusing on the advancements in level design, but not changing any of the core gameplay. And that was something I really wanted to keep very true of elementalism. Like I, I spouted this a lot in the discord over the years that it's a map set. It's not a mod. Like we are not, changing things there are a a handful of small tweaks here and there a few quality of life things like lost souls have half health you can turn them off if you want nobody ever does because everybody likes half health lost souls um but yeah it was 
it was kind of very, very uh, much a point of it to keep this sort of classic feeling. Um, and I, I think there's going to be a lot more of it out there. I think we are past the phase in the Doom modding community where people want to use advanced source port features just because they're available. Like, historically, that was very much a thing. You have sort of map sets like um, Knee Deep in Z-Doom, which was a map set put together by members of the Z-Doom community with the explicit purpose of basically remaking episode one of Doom, but using as many GZ-Doom features as possible. It was just, can the engine do it? Yes, therefore we should put it. Never mind if it was fun or it <laughs> aided the gameplay. or and it, it, Let's just put it in there. And... It's interesting that that map set is actually it's it's well known. Like it's it's not necessarily a brilliant map set, and I think most people wouldn't say that. But most people in the community have heard of it, they've played it. It was relatively influential, and I think for a long time there was kind of that feeling of it's it's about trying to use the new features or it's using none of them, and that was kind of the difference. But in like the last few years or so, I think. GZ Doom has become so advanced um, that you couldn't possibly use all of the features in it, nor I think does anyone particularly want to. And so you have a little bit more of a movement of people saying, yeah, we're going to target GZ Doom, we're going to target the UDMF advanced mapping format. That doesn't mean we're going to make something that isn't Doom anymore. It doesn't mean we're going to deviate from what the core gameplay was. We're still going to use the classic monsters, still going to use the classic enemies. It's still going to feel like Doom. Um, and I think that's very much what I wanted with Elementalism, in contrast to something like Age of Hell, where it's kind of gone bigger and better, and it's all custom enemies and custom weapons, and all, there's a whole melee system in there with combos. It's... It's the Mr. Cat is the programming genius behind it. He's come up with some crazy stuff. Uh, so it's, in some respects, it's quite nice that the two projects have completely diverged from each other and feel very different. Um, but yeah, sort of to kind of take it back to your original point of, uh, you know, why this isn't a commercial release. It's like, aside from the fact I couldn't commercially release it because it uses a lot of original assets, I'd never want to replace any of the assets anyway because right. then it wouldn't be a classic Doom map. And that was kind of the whole point from the very beginning of it's still classic doom it just has rotating staircases now <laughs> and that's kind of that was really a lot of the philosophy of the project i think just the level of polish is is so you know well thought out as we said like down to the details of like really ironing out the timing of things and all the, all the effort that goes into it like i, I could easily see how uh that same amount of love and effort could go into a commercial project. But it, like you said, it doesn't mean that it has to be or anything. It's uh, it's really rad that I just got to grab this and play it for free. And it, I was just stoked about the soundtrack for free. I was like, shit, I just get to like go on Spotify and listen to this soundtrack full of like some of my favorite artists and some others that are similar that I didn't even know about and just jam on that all day long while I work. Hell yeah. I mean, what a win. So thank you. For the gift. Yeah. No, it was I oh I did it all entirely for selfish reasons. <laughs> I just enjoyed making it. Like the fact that everyone else enjoys it is just a pure bonus. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's really cool how you can kind of see the the different ways that not only like we talked about a little bit like the different ways that the music would complement things, but just you know, you could play a map and 
and be like, yep, this is a Dragonfly map, or this is a Phobos map, or yep, this is a Bridge Burner map. Before you, I didn't even have to see some of them most of the time, but but then there's also the added aspect is like if I if I'm looking, you know, when the credits pop up at the beginning of a map and it's like, oh, this is gonna be a so and so's map. Like I better get ready. Like I better get up and go take a piss first and like stretch, limber up a bit. And that's generally how I feel about Bridge Burners maps. <laughs> so. Well, I like, therefore, that Elementalism breaks that entirely because Bridgeburner, mm. he made he made two maps for it. One of them F6 he made none of the gameplay at all, which was... Or F1 and Yeah, F5. he made, so he made F5, which he yeah. just made the arena. Like, I did all of the gameplay to that. And the other one he did was Fire 1, which is probably the easiest Bridgeburner map he's ever released. I said like, the same It's quite thing. a cozy little level. I said <laughs> yeah. exactly. I, I literally, I was like, this is the least stressful bridge burner related situation. Forget mapping like I've ever been in. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the, he did start it off a little bit spicier. He was like, can I put in more monsters? And I had to say like, no bridge burner. Yeah. This is level. This is theoretically the first level anyone plays in the map set. Cause you can obviously choose which episode right. you start with. Like it has to be a, a map one. Like, keep it, take out your extra enemies, keep it simple. And that all credit to him. He was like, all right, you know, completely got the brief and kind of toned it right down. And I think it has some kind of spectacle to it, but yeah. it is probably the shortest, easiest map in the entire project. Getting him out of his comfort zone, though, and like, can can you make a non-slaughter map? Let's see. And it slams, dude. Like, I, I enjoyed that so much. We, Me and uh, Vince Steele were both like eyeballing that, you know, pouring lava just coming out and like, man, how big is this thing? Wow. He really put a lot of effort into that. Gosh. That, and that was about <laughs> the, the gist of the conversation. Yeah. The, um, the scale of the levels is another thing that I spent quite a lot of time trying to get feeling right. Um, Cause uh-huh. quite early on, I wanted it to, be the case that all of the levels took place in the same physical area to the extent you could see the future levels from the level that you're in like i didn't know how i was going to do it i didn't know any of the details but very early on i was like this is kind of the envision so i one of the things that is implemented in the project um which i haven't seen done anywhere i'm sure other maps may have done but i haven't personally seen it um are proper dynamic skyboxes to the extent that as essentially you move around the level you can't tell the difference between what the level is and what the skybox is um and that was i spent i tell you this i was so frustrated i spent weeks programming a solution that would dynamically move the camera the skybox camera around the skybox in accordance with the player so like when the player moved 10 feet forwards the skybox would move one feet forwards it was a 10 to 1 ratio so the skybox could be 10 times smaller and therefore look 10 times bigger that was kind of the idea behind it spent ages and ages and ages got it good enough there are a couple of small things with it uh, and then I went on Realm 667 one day, which is the, the custom Doom project repository um, run by Tormentor 667. And somebody had uploaded a better version of the same thing I had programmed. 
Like he'd <laughs> written it more robustly. It worked better. I took a lot. It was just like, for fuck's sake, <laughs> like how long yeah. have I spent working on this? And this guy comes in and just goes, oh, just do it like this. And it works better. So swallowed my pride, put that version in. Um, and yeah, there are still a couple of times that kind of you can tell there. But um, yeah, there. generally speaking, especially with the water episode, which takes place inside a big canyon, um, all of the all of the levels are present in all of the other levels. We just I just exported them all as models and then re-imported them back into the game because weirdly, GZ Doom absolutely crunches models. Like millions of sectors, it will kind of slow down on a model. No worries. Like it can app, it just does models brilliantly fast. So there's a relatively new feature in Ultimate Doom Builder, which is the Doom editing program I use, where you can export levels as models, as OBJ models. So you can just basically take a level, export it, shrink it, and pop it into a skybox. And you wouldn't know the difference between actual level and model level. And so I just went to ham doing that. So anytime you are running around the level, you can see something way, way off in the distance. It's probably a full fidelity version of the level. Like I didn't, I didn't even bother reducing any of the detail. It's like it's the full level just sat over there. You just There's just no interaction with it or like collision because it's all a model. So it runs really quickly. Um, but yeah, there's... There's a lot of that in there to just try and make the the maps feel. Because no, the thing is with do maps, you kind of know that you feel you're in a little area and there isn't a grand outdoors. But I really wanted this to sort of feel like there's this whole world beyond uh, the actual little level that you're running around in. Yeah. No, it really successfully does. I already brought up the you know just seeing the pyramid waiting for you in the distance slowly seeming to get a little bit closer maybe it's yeah magical it's such a hugely important thing we we had a challenge in stellar valkyrie and that we wanted you know like spaceships to be flying around in the skybox too and that was a whole thing we had to kind of like think about and deal with and luckily uber is a fucking genius because i'm not but yeah that just little subtle things like that that make the world feel more alive and more like a place is hugely important and uh is something that, you know, doesn't really get explored that much. Even something as simple as the way that you guys kind of like have each level lead directly into the beginning of the next level, uh, though it is still a distinct level and all, just just that little bit feels so immersive and goes such a long way. Uh, Ancient Aliens also yeah, did that quite well. Yeah, that was... Yeah, there are uh, Eternity does that as well, actually. There's mm-hmm. a few map sets. Um, but I was... I actually kind of went to the extent of getting all of all of the levels, um, copying them all into a single giant map, lining them all up and making sure no bits of them overlapped with other bits. Because like, even though the play would never in a million years know that the corner of one room in level one is technically overlapping with the corner of a completely different level in level three, I still wanted it to f- to be genuinely accurate, like no non-Euclidean geometry or anything like that. So there are a few levels that have kind of had their exits moved or completely rotated, whatever it is, just so everything accurately fits together. Um, It also, in some cases, it means that you don't really... 
there are opportunities for like amazing vistas that I didn't go for because it would have meant having a level somewhere it didn't actually sit, um, which I was torn on, like whether it's better to kind of fake geometry for a better vista or whether it's better to have everything be genuinely is still I can't quite decide on. Um, but yeah, there is everything does genuinely fit together. And if you could magically create a Doom level that fit everything in, you could seamlessly walk around the whole thing and you wouldn't like be running into other levels and stuff like that. So uh, Zach Murphy wrote in, he wants to know, how did you become such a baller? As in, where does my name come from? I guess I'm not quite sure. Literally in quotation marks. How did you become such a baller? That's what he wants to know. Um, well, I can tell you that my name uh, is not very uh, inspired. It's a player model, custom player model for Quake 2 by a guy called evil bastard who some people may remember from the quake two days he was basically he was a big devil guy and he reminded me of doom when quake and quake two were all the rage and sci-fi was cool and doom was kind of you know forgetting and i was like this reminds me of my preferred software game so i'm gonna you know i I name myself after him because it kind of felt homely um and i just kind of stuck with it ever since so, uh, I, I assumed uh, that it was Ball, like the god in Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> is that isn't that spelt slightly differently? Probably. Or, I, don't know. I know no there's, there's a Bail, which is B A A L. Yeah, that's um, it. That's the one I was thinking of. Yeah, See? that's yeah. a genuine god. I like the this. As far as I'm aware, this kind of devil player character, the name's made up. Gotcha. But, uh, I I have no idea how to pronounce it either. Everyone has different opinions. So <laughs> Baul, right? Baul or Ball yeah. or one of them. Bowels. Yeah, it's a double U. So Bowel. Mm, I don't know. Bowel. Bowel. I don't know. Double. Yeah. Unfortunately, in English, we have double U's instead of double V's. So there's a lot of confusion about how you would pronounce two U's in sequence. Mm. I don't know. Who, who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I kind of, the last thing I wanted to kind of wrap up with here is that uh, it's, it's phase one. So what's phase two? So the full version of the project will have six episodes. Um, oh. So, uh, earth fire and water are the first three the last three are um air light and darkness um so the air episode is essentially medieval floating castles so i know that kind of will be cool but no we're um we're basically going for floating islands with medieval castles on so you basically go from like bridges over the infinite void with castles and stuff like that there's 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 at least one map already finished for it actually Um, bioshock infinite comes to mind that sort of thing yeah if if bioshock infinite was in the 12th century rather than (laughs) the 1940s whenever it was set like that kind of idea um so that's the air the then the two the light the dark uh episodes we're taking a bit of a detour because they're going to be a bit sci-fi ish um so the dark episode is essentially going to be very doom three ish like 
creepy futuristic tech base, very dark. Um, there's a couple of maps made for that. Uh, one of them, uh, D2, I'm I'm really friggin' excited for because um, this is again an idea, the kind of silly idea I came up with, where that as you progress through the level, you realize you're being stalked by a black kind of a dark cyber demon so all you can see is the outline and just two glowing purple eyes and there's scenes like where you get a lift and you press the button and as you lower he like stomps down the corridor towards you or you'll be like waiting for doors to cycle and you can hear him like on the other side of the door and there's like four or five of these little scripted encounters where he's stalking you and then the end of the level you actually face him um, and it's a really mean encounter because it's completely pitch black and you can only see him when he shoots because the dynamic lights light him up. Uh, so there's that kind of stuff for dark. Um, for light, we haven't made anything yet. Um, I'm thinking kind of what I have in my mind is you, you think of something like the Jedi temples in Star Wars, how it's like temply but sci-fi. Like, that's sort of what I'm thinking of. So, like, sort of golden marble everywhere, but more sci-fi elements rather than historical. Um, So there'll there'll be those. That's 15 more maps. Of those 15, we've made about three of them, three and a half, maybe. And it was – I was just kind of looking at the progress of all of the levels a couple of years ago and was, like, going – if we try and make this whole project, we'll be here until 2040. So why don't we just focus on the first three episodes, which are far more done, actually get those complete, push them out as phase one, do the next three episodes at some point in the future. As for when, honestly, it's going to be a long time. Like one of the the reason actually why phase one got pushed out when it did uh, in the beginning of April is because at the end of April, two two weeks and three days ago i became a dad for the first time um so my life is currently thank you uh yes it's currently looking after baby girls and waking up at 2 a.m and 5 a.m and 8 a.m and all the rest of it so i was very glad to get phase one done so i can now focus on being a dad for a bit phase two feels like it'll be something way off in the future like because it was very much a labor of love i kind of need those creative a bit of a creative recharge come up with a bunch of more silly ideas um and then come back to it at some point in the future so it will happen but it's going to be a long way away do you think that we'll see the same sort of cast of characters mappers or like where you'll be rotating in maybe new contributors and new musicians for the the new episodes or what do you have in mind? Um, a lot of it depends on availability. I would like to have the same cast uh, of characters. I think we all did a great job. We enjoyed working together. I'd love to keep all the musicians again. Um, I know a lot of the existing mappers are very keen on working on stuff. Like Remorath's already started a map. Phobos has already started a map. Like there, There's a bunch of them out there. Uh, Dreadop has. Um, whether we'll end, we might end up seeing some new blood coming in and out just depending on availability and all the rest of it but ultimately i do kind of see it as like a a second like a second part of the same project so it's not going to be a a tremendous detour in in either direction although it does mean i have to come up with three more ideas for bosses 
uh, which it will be fun because I used up all my good ideas uh, on the the first three, yeah. four with the with the secret secret extra boss spoilers. <laughs> but, well, like, dude, thank yeah. you so much for uh, reaching out. First of all, after the <laughs> invite that I sent uh, through the ether, and yeah, I really really appreciate your time. Like you. You, you don't understand how much playing this map set has inspired me to be a better producer. I'm, I'm going to be 10 times better just because I spent the last, you know, week or so toying around with this thing until I finally beat it. It's so good. Congratulations, not well, only I'm, on uh, an excellent map set, but also on your, uh, your new daughter. Thank you very much. And I'm thrilled you enjoyed it. Like, I know I was joking earlier about I, you know, I didn't really care or something, but it is I I love seeing people play it and get to those big moments and just being oh this is so cool and like seeing the enjoyment on their faces like it was a blast to make it's even more of a blast to just watch people be happy playing it um, and at the end of the day that's kind of a lot of it what makes it worthwhile if you can brighten someone's day a little bit then it's all definitely worth it i was genuinely wowed multiple times like had to stop and pause and like holy shit that is amazing and then like kind of digest what's been done to create it and then okay move forward time to play so seriously man like <laughs> I, I truly truly impressed by what you guys have done well, thank you very much. It was a yeah. genuine pleasure to put it together, and thank you for having me on. This is this has been fun. Uh, yeah. It's it's always. I mean, I've watched a, a bunch of your previous kind of podcasts, so it, it's lovely to be here in person now. And yeah, this was this is a very nice way to spend an afternoon. So thank you very much. Well, then next time that uh, you release something, so I guess when Phase Two comes out, fifteen years or so, if I'm still doing, po if we're both still alive, you know, you got to come back on. But if you <laughs> if you want to talk anytime in between, then or promote anything else, or just talk shit or whatever, you're always welcome back on the show. Thank you. Well, yeah. the next big thing is uh, Bridgeburner has got me doing a map for Age of Hell, uh, and I have already worked out what I'm going to be doing. It's going to be doing a gigantic non-Euclidean cathedral floating in an infinite void where the whole thing rearranges itself a million times as you play it. So you can tell, can tell where those ideas came from. So I, as I when Bridge. that is made at some point in the future. <laughs> yeah, I know Bridge. And I know yeah, do an Age of Hell episode. He's like, I want that. I want to make that. Because I had the same instincts. Like, God, can we do something like this with Stellar Valkyrie? Like, with, can I just buy this map? And <laughs> Good God. Yeah. Okay, man. I got to go make dinner, but I, I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for having me, and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you to Ben Baul Mansell for being part of the show. Really appreciate like how much energy he brings to the table. You know, like not every conversation is that freeform and just flows naturally and comes right out of the guest. Like I, I barely had to work for that one. So thank you, man. You were an excellent, excellent interviewee. I will say that. Also, uh, the music that you're listening to right now, just in case you're wondering what it is, because I know it's amazing, is Speedy's Submerged. It is Water 3 in Elementalism. It's 
fantastic. I've never even heard of Speedy before I played this, and uh, now, now I'm a fan. I've left a uh, link to their Twitter handle in the episode notes, so I guess, uh, you know, find some way to support them if you dig what you're hearing. Uh, maybe get them involved in your con- uh, project, I don't know. Who cares? Then, also gotta say thank you to Tristan for hooking this whole thing up, you know. Uh, the previous episode of In the Heat was me talking to Tristan about a lot of stuff in this game that, you know, he wasn't really part of, and he was like, you need to talk to Ball, and we made it happen, like, instantaneously. I, I don't know what to say. Thank you, man. Gotta say thank you to all of the wonderful people who keep the lights on around this place. Melancholy Geek, Shannon, Bridge, Anthony, Mike, Zan, Fred, Brandy, Jack, Robert, Warflower, Red Eyes, Brad, Dots, Moose, Paul, the entire Flambeau family. Igrax Simon for all the wonderful music and Amorpher for all of the wonderful music that you guys have given us over the years. Thank you. Uh, if you would like to be part of that list, um, they're all Patreon supporters or, in, in some cases, people who just helped out <laughs> when we needed it. Um, there are a lot of perks to that. You can go to inthecube.com and file links to all of our stuff. I, uh, I believe you'll be hearing about Stellar Valkyrie stuff pretty soon. I'm... I don't want to speak too soon, but uh, I feel it in my gut that uh, we're going to have some stuff to show off. It's not going to be anything world-changing yet, or maybe it will be. (laughs) I'm just excited if you can't tell. Anyway, I love you. The Drowned God Cathal loves you. Till next time, stay in the keep.